Hello, listeners. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Minnesota State University Family Orientation Podcast. Um, like all the episodes we've had so far, I continue to have great enthusiasm uh, about the topic of the day, and today is no different. For you bookworms out there and those that like technology, I think you're going to like today's episode a lot, because we're going to talk about the way the library has been changing in you know, response to the pandemic, as well as just overall. Um, if it's been a while since you've been in a library, you might not recognize some of the elements within our own library. And so uh, to learn a little bit more about that, we're joined today by the Interim Dean of Library and Learning, Chris Corley. Chris, thanks for taking some time out and joining us today. Thanks for having me. So Chris has got a history here at the university. And, and um, uh, Chris, so to start us off, why don't you share with us how long have you worked at, at, at Minnesota State and, and what do you like about working here? I've worked here since the fall of 2004. Um, so I've been here more than 15 years now, starting this fall. And uh, I'm a history professor here at the university uh, as well and serving as interim dean. And um, you really, um, I was excited to be able to, to work here. I'd worked in a few other environments before. And what I enjoyed about this environment is that this was a larger university than where I've worked before, um, but yet, uh, it also felt very small at the same time. Uh, often new students will say that too, mm -hmm. you know, that it's a, it's a larger university with all the advantages of a larger university, yet you see your friends and your colleagues uh, all the time. Um, you uh, engage um, and, and meet new people all the time at, mm -hmm. the same, you know, at the same time. So it's always a combination of meeting new people, uh, engaging in new opportunities, but also um, reconnecting with uh, your colleagues and, and other coworkers and students as well. So I've enjoyed that, I think, most about my time here. I, I know exactly what you mean. I, I've had the opportunity to work at uh, institutions over 30,000, where it's big, mm -hmm. to ones as small as, you know, about four or 5,000. And uh, we're sitting right now, our enrollment this past fall was 14,300. And it's kind of that sweet spot of, of being big enough. You can be a little bit anonymous and meet new people, yet there's some comfort within it being that, you know, that's, the size of a, of a good sized town, you know, and, and it's, a, it's a good mix because it also means we have some resources, which I know I suspect you'll, you'll share with us a little bit more that, that some places don't have because of our size. Yeah, and I think that has some parallels with the city of Mankato, honestly, that it's, uh, it's small enough that you do see people um, uh, who you know, but you, I always, I'm always meeting new people, you know, in the city. Uh, and I, I think that the same would go for just the what the university is able to do. It's, um, it's a large enough university that we have our, you know, solid programming that we can count on all the time. Um, but it's also malleable and kind of willing to experiment with uh, new ways of teaching or co-curricular activities. So I've enjoyed that part of it too. That's fabulous. That totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now we're recording this on July 23rd. And so we, we know a little bit more about the, the state of the pandemic within Minnesota, as, as well as um, across the country and everything. And um, just yesterday, our governor announced a face, facial covering requirement starting Saturday in all indoor spaces across the state and everything. This, the last five, four or five months here this year have been a massive turnaround from what we normally have done here at the university. I imagine those changes have also been pretty impactful with the library. You know, what, what was the spring semester like when we transitioned from in-person to online teaching? Well, like everybody, it was pretty stressful, um, you know, for, for us, uh, for our staff. I mean, 
Uh, we have hundreds of thousands of square feet uh, of study space here. Um, we had to be concerned about uh, maintaining that space in adequate condition, protecting the health and safety of the students and our staff, you know, at the same time. So when spring break rolled around and, and in the week after there, that was um, some pretty intense moments where we were trying to figure out uh, what was best uh, for the students and for the university community. And how are we going to be able to maintain our services um, again while protecting the health and safety of everybody uh, involved? We are essentially uh, one large community center. And so if, if you think about, you know, part of our goal is to bring people together to collaborate uh, uh, and to study uh, and to learn together. So how do you do that, you know, in that type of environment? So uh, our team was amazingly responsive in those first couple of weeks. And we had created a plan that would gradually draw back access to the library while trying to maintain our core services uh, for students and faculty. Um, and then just as we were um, going to implement that plan, as you recall, things changed hour to hour, not just day to day. Um, but literally, as we were going to implement that plan, uh, the call came out to to close the library uh, building um, to uh, students and faculty and so then that's what we did and so uh, uh, our next task at that point was to try to figure out um, how to provide those most essential services to uh, support online learning um, you know and I, I can go into further detail on that but it was it, it the team worked extremely well together to be able to, we were having daily meetings, um, trying to figure out the best approach, just like everywhere else on campus, you know, at the time. I think one of uh, the, we often speak about, even in, in normal times, if you will, there's a maverick spirit of kind of this campus of a chip on our shoulder, trying to figure stuff out. But I really saw that manifest itself all throughout the spring semester and people, you know, a caring kind of leadership to make sure we can serve our students in the best way we can, but also knowing that we were navigating new territory for us and trying to figure that out. Absolutely. I mean, from the care and concern that the staff had with the student workers, uh, making sure that, um, for example, uh, that our library student workers were able to support the work of the library, but also continue to be paid. Um, that was quite evident from the beginning um, to, again, you know, the idea of faculty and students being able to rely on our services that we would normally provide even though our buildings close. Most people identify a library by its space. Mm -hmm. So I think one thing that became evident last spring for me especially being relatively new to the position was that um, you know space doesn't necessarily define a library. Mm -hmm. You know it's not about the space alone it's about the uh, effective offering of services and availability of collections. Uh, certainly space is important. No one would ever say it's not. I mean, these are community, learning community centers in many respects, but short of that, when that's impossible, you really have to um, focus on the other two legs, I guess, the collections and the collections management and how much work our staff do to select the most important materials for scholarly work, to uh, work alongside faculty to do, so, do that, uh, and to curate that material, to make it available for people. Um, 
and then how to continue to provide those types of essential services that are related to information literacy and access to that material. Mm -hmm. I mean, our, our faculty and staff teach people how to do that each and every day. It's, you know, there's more than anyone could ever, you know, digest in many, many, many lifetimes here, right? The, the yeah. collection of human knowledge, but the, one of the tasks that our librarians focus on, you know, is how do you effectively teach people how to access that information? Mm -hmm. You know, so all that work had to happen in March and April in an online environment. And I thought we were up to the task. Uh, I was really proud, you know, as we were going through those weeks of how uh, the faculty and staff really came together to, um, and they had been prepared. I mean, they had been prepared for years uh, because for the past several decades, libraries are increasingly digital. Right. And so what I was hoping was over the past um, five months now is that in some cases uh, people would have a new awareness of what libraries could offer because they associate it with a physical book right or an archival manuscript or something like that and while that's never going away anytime soon you know what I tell people is that 80 to 90 percent of the things we purchase every year are in fact digital that's how we add to our collection for the most part. The books comprise a very small part of our budget. Wow, that, yeah, I suppose, it, again, uh, if somebody's not been in a university library recently, they might be surprised by some of that, but it's pretty overwhelming. So as, you've, as you experience, you know, that transition in the spring, you've had time over the summer to really kind of refine some of the things that you were able to, to try and do or, or make that shift. We're, we're just a couple of weeks from the start of our fall semester, you know, how, how has the library been preparing and getting ready for that, the reality of both some in-person, some online delivery of classes and, and how you're going to support our students? Wow, that's a great question. I mean, some of the things we've just continued to do since the spring. Uh, for example, I think you're, you're aware of, uh, uh, you know, our, our, our efforts to document uh, we, we serve as the university archive and our efforts to document the kind of events that have happened since March have never stopped. Um, we, in fact, are, um, with the assistance of university administration, employing well over 100 international students to document their experiences. Uh, and that's resulting in what's going to be, I would think, one of the more unique archives in the entire country. Mm -hmm. uh, there's lots of university archives and libraries that are documenting the pandemic, but none with the unique focus that we have that I know of. Uh, so we continue that work uh, and will continue that work. Um, we also experimented uh, last spring, and this will be an ongoing project. Last spring, you know, we were faced with a, with a dilemma because students rely, um, a lot of students rely on our textbook reserve program. Uh, where they can loan out a textbook for a few hours that they can use for that they use for their classes and might save them a few few dollars um, at the bookstore. Uh, but what what do you do when the library is closed? Uh, so you know we were able to work with uh, copyright and those types of things to you know in emergency cases scan some things for students when they needed to. But you know there's a lot of rules and regulations for that, and so. Um, our librarians immediately um, started to see what was available in the ebook um, licenses and where we could 
have more than a single user license for an ebook for a book that corresponded with a class, we purchased it. So we reallocated resources in the spring to support our online learning so that students, because some students weren't able to come back, uh, some students couldn't access their book for weeks. And so this was an attempt to help. And we're going to keep that going. Um, textbook affordability is a real passion uh, for librarians. And there's always going to be a need for a bookstore. Um, certainly, we, we use our bookstore all the time. It's a great uh, asset. Um, but we also want to supplement that uh, with um, increased use of library resources, uh, particularly ebooks, which are you know portable. Um, Oh, support for open education resources. So help faculty move towards more open materials that could be available from semester to semester. And we have um, in partnership with uh, ITS, our uh, instruction, our institutional technology, you know, um, we, we were able to, to support the faculty who are moving towards that. So those are things that started in the spring that will continue. Mm -hmm. Um, another change uh, is we moved to another platform for our reference services. So one of the classic services of a, of a library is reference, where you have an expertly trained professional who understands how to navigate the information world uh, in ways students often just um, don't really have that much experience, you know, with. And um, students have they never have had an experience of working in a library like ours. They're coming from very small local public libraries or school libraries. And honestly, this is the first time they've ever seen like a major research library like ours. So our reference librarians, trained professionals are able to help them navigate that world. And we, we, not, we migrated to a new platform uh, in May, which allows uh, our reference librarians to chat as the students are navigating our online catalog, um, they can be in direct contact with our reference librarian. And that chat can be converted to a Zoom format like you and I are communicating with right now uh, with screen sharing. And so you can have that personal uh, interaction with one of our professionals um, through the day. Um, once the semester starts, it's you know, eight o'clock in the morning till 9.30 at night. After 9.30 at night, it's a 24-7 service mm -hmm. uh, because librarians uh, from around the world kind of collaborate and pick up on that. So our students can, um, yeah. So if, you have a if, you, if you're working at 11.30 at night, our reference librarians are probably asleep. But in Hawaii, they'll be working. Uh, or in East Asia, they'll be working. And so uh, they'll be helping our students as well. So we'll be continuing that. Um, this this uh, year, and then I guess as we're as we're planning for fall too, the big question is: Are the spaces how do we how do we provide uh, as safe as environment as we can? And so we're like everyone else on campus. We're implementing social distancing. We're removing chairs. Uh, we're uh, planning for you know sanitation um, work and hygiene work and those types of things. So there'll be fewer chairs available in the library, um, but. Uh, as you and I, we were just meeting with the student government yesterday. You know, even we've removed 50% of our individual study chairs, or 75% rather. Okay. 50% of our computer station chairs mm -hmm. to accommodate social distancing. So we feel really good about where we are for social distancing. 
But even with that, we have 587 study spaces in the library right now with the social distancing. So we feel really good about where we are. As of right now, as we speak, I believe the governor's you know, mandate is to have no more than 250 mm -hmm. you know, in a particular building. But the thing about this is it provides us with some time to you know, clean a space after a student has used it so that they can find another space. Um, so we feel pretty good about that plan moving forward. We're going to have a soft opening of the library on August 10th. That's where our plans are uh, at the moment. See how things work. They'll allow some faculty to come in uh, if they need uh, physical items, uh, that kind of stuff. So that's one of our, our plans. I will say, too, that uh, one of the things we continued all the way through the spring is we offered curbside service. Oh. So, yeah, so immediately we started it right from the beginning. We had a couple hours a day. You can, from the card, from their online catalog, you can order books. The next day, they're available for you to pick up behind our library, just like a restaurant takeout. Oh. We then quickly worked with printing services and added printing feature to that, so students could do print jobs, and then scanning features as well, so we could work with students who needed to scan material. That was so popular that we moved it from 11 to 1 to 11 to 4 or something like that now, um, we'll continue. There may be people who are apprehensive about uh, coming into uh, the library and bang, you know, looking through books and staying. So we're gonna continue to offer a service where the students can use the online catalog, pick the books they want, up to 20. Within a few hours of the next day, we'll have them available for them to pick up at the front desk of the library should they wish. And for all, you know, as you know, we have quite a few students who uh, may decide to study from home. Right. And, uh, we mail physical materials to students all the time. So students should not be worried about their ability to access uh, information from the library. Wow. So instead of Uber Eats, it's Uber Read that you yeah. had to provide, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And honestly, they've been, they've been mailing, you know, pre-pandemic, they were mailing materials uh, yeah. to students all over. That was a normal feature. If you live in Minnesota, you could actually return your material to any library in the state. And it, you wouldn't have to mail it back. It would just find its way back to us um, uh, through a, a program uh, run through the University of Minnesota called Minitex. Um, and that's our interlibrary loan program. So that, yeah, that works out really well. And um, so we'll, we'll be continuing a lot of the things we learned in the pandemic uh, and probably expanding those services as well. We're also ramping up things you know th you know we our anatomy rooms really really popular awesome uh yeah and we can't have as many students in it this year so, so we yeah your anatomy room i was i was glad you mentioned it can you tell our listeners like what, what do you find in, in the anatomy room in the library so this has models of human bodies um, that can be taken apart and what you see are nursing students biology students um in you know historically larger groups you know, six, seven people who are studying for exams, you know, for their anatomy exams, these types of things. Um, we still want them to be able to do that. They can't congregate in the same numbers um, uh, because of social distancing. So what we've done is we've, we've, we've just put in the orders for, I think, eight to 16 more models. Uh, and then we're gonna spread the students out across, uh, this is in the lower level of our library. So they'll still have access to those materials. We'll, we'll, we have purchased more uh, to accommodate social distancing. Um, another example of that is our, our canopy um, 
it, uh, it's a resource that has uh, films and documentaries. It's very expensive, um, but you know, we had to, once we went to online learning, um, there was increased demand. So we had to reallocate resources for that, you know, as well. So a lot of managing the library from the uh, faculty's perspective is trying to, trying to predict the kinds of things that are gonna have increased use and trying to have more copies uh, or reallocate more funds to those materials. Hmm. That's fabulous. It's, um, it's one of those unknown kind of things that I think a lot of people just aren't aware of that you have as a resource. So what are some of the other services that a student would, you know, should be knowledgeable about that you guys provide? Well, I think the key, the key service is reference. I mean, for my money, I think students don't really grasp the value um, or they understand what, uh, how much they can gain from it until they actually use it. Um, our librarians, unlike librarians everywhere, our librarians are faculty. Mm -hmm. uh, our librarians work extremely closely with our other teaching faculty to design uh, assignments uh, to help the students develop their um, information literacy and research skills. And uh, I think sometimes students, um, again, who haven't had the experience of working in such a large, honestly, a large library like ours, they don't really know what it's capable of. And so we have, until you visit with a, uh, a faculty member to, to have a reference session, I think students are always pleasantly surprised by what they come away with. We have glowing reviews all the time. Those uh, sessions can happen in a classroom environment. So the reference, the librarian is working as an instructor to help the students understand a particular assignment or the components of that with alongside another faculty member. Or they might happen on a demand basis where the student comes up to the reference librarian um, just all of a sudden and says, I'm dealing with this issue. Or, and a lot of students don't know this, um, students make appointments with reference librarians all the time. So you know, even though you're that particular reference librarian that you know, uh, who's associated with your department because our, they are liaisons to particular departments, our faculty members, um, you know, all the time the students can say, can email a professor and say, can I have a half an hour with you for a research consultation? And so I think that's, that's kind of underplayed. Um, and, and really, if you're, if you're coming from a smaller high school environment or something like, even a large one, you really have not had that kind of service right. you know, available. I think the other thing I would say is um, we have surprises in here, things you wouldn't know about, like the anatomy room, uh, like our educational uh, resource center in the basement of the library that has, rents out and loans out lots of different uh, kinds of materials. We have in lots of games. Uh, those types of things downstairs uh, as well. And then quite honestly, you know, our digital collection is just so much bigger than our physical collection. So a lot of our stuff is online. So a student's looking for a book. I need a book on this. Well, you know, the best material that you might actually really need might be available digitally. Mm. You know, so I think those are some examples of, of, of services, you know, that yeah. we it, it totally makes sense, you know, just the uh... Kind of maturation of the entire library ecosystem to adopt to the digital changes and everything. Absolutely. Now, now Chris, you and I share something in common that we both have rising high school seniors. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
and so you know we're, we we not only do we work at the university but we share the hat of kind of us similar to our parents who might be listening to this that though they've got students a year older than us who are heading off to school if you're maybe a transfer student a couple years of experience already is there any other you know speaking to our parents that are listening what did any last advice you might give them to help them their students be successful at MSU? I think the advice I'd give my son, you know, um, or anyone, and I've given it to lots of students here, is, is to not be afraid to ask questions and not be afraid to seek assistance. Um, for my money, this school, we talked about it, that it is a perfect size, but it's not a 2,000 person school either, right? So it, it's a little bit bigger than that, which means that um, you're not always rewarded for being an introvert or being shy. Um, and this isn't a criticism about the school, it's just, it's, an, it's the environment that we're in. And I think in a, in a regional comprehensive university like ours, that students who uh, benefit often aren't afraid to ask questions or ask for resources uh, or seek out those resources in ways that you might not have somebody coming to you all the time, um, but you can if you ask for it. And we have all the resources of a major research university and all the resources of a small liberal arts college, but sometimes you have to seek it out. And so I would say not to not be afraid to ask questions of your advisor, uh, your, your professor who's teaching a class, um, you know, uh, pe people in the union, people ask questions all the time in the library about um, access to resources. And we know where the resources are. Uh, we know where to to take you to and so i think the students who benefit are the ones who learn oh yeah i need to ask i need to ask this person ask that person and then they'll guide me to where i need to go so i guess that would be my advice for success i think that's spot on it really does measure the one of the things i, I love about our university is exactly that because if you reach out a hand somebody's gonna grab it and help you that is definitely fits our ethos of who we are as a campus so um Chris, thank you so much, not only for you, your team, everything you guys have done, and, and it's been fun to kind of watch it on the campus as you guys have responded to the unusualness of this COVID-19 pandemic, but uh, thanks again for the work you're going to be doing this fall, you know, and trying to address the needs of our thousands of students and everything. And, and lastly, thank you for spending time with us here today, and uh, really appreciate you carving out the time, and uh, uh, wish you well. <laughs> and uh, for our listeners, thanks again. We'll have another episode coming out shortly. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to speak with you.